morning. If you have your Bible handy, won't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to begin this morning. I hope everyone has had a wonderful week. I'm happy to see all these wonderful faces here this morning. It is always a joy for me to start off the week worshiping God and reading from His Word and learning from Him. I appreciate Walter's songs. They, uh, they help to direct where I'm going to go with this sermon. His songs are all about getting closer to God and drawing nearer to Him, strengthening ourselves through worship to God. Sometimes, you know, we, we forget about a form of worship, though. We worship by singing, by praying, by studying with one another, by uplifting one another. But sometimes we forget about fasting. We forget that fasting is a form of worship designed to draw us closer to God, designed to lower ourselves so that we can grow close to God and be near Him. And in Matthew chapter 6, I want to point this out. Matthew chapter 6 is in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where He's teaching His apostles all these wonderful things about what He expects of them and how they're supposed to act. And in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 16, he, He teaches on fasting. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting is not to be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus in this passage is is teaching on fasting, yes, and it seems as if he's directly encouraging it. You see, when he's teaching his apostles, it's not if you guys fast or if you have the time to fast. There's an expectation when he says, when you fast. He expects his disciples to fast. And that's important because I think sometimes we overlook that. Sometimes we just forget about fasting because it's, it's kind of a difficult thing to do. Fasting in itself requires us to put away food and stop eating for a period of time so that we can devote that time to prayer and to drawing close to God. And so that's what I want us to talk about this morning. This morning we're going to focus on that idea, less food, more God. I want us to understand what it is to fast, how it should look, what it should be used for, and what the Bible says about it. Now oftentimes I think we forget about fasting because it's just not mentioned all that much in the New Testament. Most of the times we read about fasting are Old Testament passages, Old Testament stories where people like David, King David had to fast or or chose to fast when he was about to lose his child, or times where Esther chose to fast when she had a big decision to make. These Old Testament stories are more vivid about fasting, and when we turn to the New Testament, the stories are few and far in between. But that shouldn't lessen its importance. I think when we see it in the New Testament, like Jesus is teaching here, it teaches us that he is encouraging us to do so. He wants us to fast. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we should be fasting just so we can say we fast. Fasting has a purpose. There's a reason we choose to fast. And I want to explore that this morning. Look with me, if you will, in 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12 is where we're going to go for our first application here. Like I just mentioned, King David chooses to fast in this story. At this time, David had just committed his sin with Bathsheba. He had, he had seen her bathing upon her roof, and he committed adultery with her. And God sent a prophet to tell David of all the wrong things he had done, because after doing that, 
David covered it up by killing this woman's husband or having him killed in battle. So God sent the prophet Nathan to David to rebuke him. And he tells David that, look what you've done. You've taken what this man had for yourself and it was his only thing that he had. And you killed him. And David is sorrowful. He is repent, he's repentant of what he's done. But more importantly, look how he repents. The punishment that David is to receive for this is that he's going to lose the child that has been conceived. The child is going to be sick and not, and not be able to live. Down in verse 15 of chapter 12, Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, when the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some, more, or some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to the servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house, and we asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Before we continue this passage, I want to point out all of that David's done. David hears his punishment. The child is going to die. Immediately upon hearing this, David goes and humbles himself before God, lying down and not eating for seven days. He fasts for a week to beg God not to do this, to ask for forgiveness and ask for God to to find some other way to punish him. But then the child dies. And I think it's really important that we notice something about David's fasting. In verse 20, David doesn't immediately go eat. I mean, you have to imagine this guy must be starving. But yet he goes back, changes and cleans himself, and continues to worship God before even thinking about ending his fast. David's fast right here, yes, is a response to his punishment. It is a response because of his sorrow, but it continues on after he understands that punishment has been levied. And we understand why further on in this passage, if you'll pick up back with me in verse 21. Then his servant said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, that is David, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. David understands the punishment has happened. He understands it's not going to change. He understands that he's done all that he, has, all that he can at that time and that he must move on from the punishment. The reason I chose this story is because it shows a direct response to something. It shows that fasting has its purpose. Fasting is an intimate response for sorrow. I think we see that with David. His child is dying, and he needs help. He goes to God for help. And this isn't the only time we see this in the Old Testament. It happens in Judges, when the entire tribe of Benjamin is basically decimated by war. And the people fast to, to figure out what they're going to do to help that tribe. They're fasting because of the atrocities that have happened. It also happens in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat, the king of, of Judah, is afraid of these armies that have been encamped against him. 
He's worried about what's about to befall his kingdom. And he fasts before God to ask for help. Fasting is this intimate response between God and man. It's this choice, it's this choice that we have to go to God in a more devoted sense. We say, I've had enough, of, or we put aside food, we put aside anything else so that we can solely focus on going to God and show Him that our devotion is to Him in that time. Now, sometimes though, when we think of sorrow and fear, our last train of thought is, I should go without food for this instance. We think, that's, that's, I, that's silly, I shouldn't do that. Oftentimes, it's the other way around. When I am sorrowful, when I am afraid, you know what I turn to? I turn to food to help me out. When I'm stressed out, I, you can ask my wife, I want Chick-fil-A. I want to go and I want to sit down and have a large fry and a nice big chicken sandwich because that's comforting. That makes me feel better. What we see in this passage is that fasting is the complete opposite of that. But yet, because so often we turn to food for comfort, for help, it's hard to turn to fasting. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. How can me becoming more hungry make me feel any better? How can me going without food draw me any closer to God? It's only going to make me worry about why my stomach is rumbling. Fasting is difficult for us. It's not something we turn to in today's society because we just overlook it. We think there are better ways to deal with pain, to deal with sorrow. We feel like there are better ways to fix something that is before us other than giving up our food. But for all these reasons that why we might not fast, I think it is extremely important when we look back at David for why we should fast. David humbles himself before God all night long. And not only all night, but for an entire week. He sees this matter of such importance that all that matters to him is going before God and praying and asking for help giving up everything else for that time to ask for God to deliver this judgment in a different way. In verse 21, like I said, you can see his, his struggle in this or his emotion in this. What is this thing that you have done? You have fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that my child may live. Yes, David understands his sin. Yes, David understands he's supposed to be punished for his sin. But there's still that same love for his child. There's still emotion for his child. And he goes before God to beg him, to ask him to do something different. His fast is in an intimate response between him and God to show his sorrow, to show his repentance, and to ask for help. That's what fasting should look like. Fasting for us should be something where we can shut the door and close it and get, get into a room for it by ourselves and pray to God and ask God for help without any worry about what we may eat or when we may eat next because that's not important. What's important is getting close to God. This may look different for each of us. It may come at different times. This may be for us that when a loved one has passed on and we're sorrowful because they have left us, they have gone, somewhere, they have gone to a better place, so to speak. We just want help. We just want answers. That may be one of the best times for us to fast, to take some time 
and devote it to God without any worries of anything else. Maybe it's a response because someone we love or ourselves are dealing with a very serious illness. Something that has shocked not only our world, but the world of our loved ones. Maybe then it's time for us to fast, to go before God and ask for strength to deal with that trial, to deal with that sickness. Strength to encourage our loved ones that we can get through this, no matter what the result may be. This may be a response to temptation. Sorrow, isn't just, sorrow just doesn't, doesn't just come from sickness or from death. Sorrow sometimes comes because I've failed before the eyes of God. And maybe then it's time for me to fast so that I can draw close to God and reestablish my foundation in Him and in what He desires me to do. Fasting can draw me closer to God. It can strengthen me in my walk with God. It can help me deal with the struggles and the trials of life. Turn with me to Isaiah 58 now, please. Isaiah 58, and we'll begin in verse 1. There's a difference, as we'll see in this passage, between true fasting and false fasting. That is, fasting that is just to be seen, like the hypocrites Jesus mentions in Matthew chapter 6. Isaiah 58, starting in verse 1. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments that they delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fists. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring homeless, the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up, like spe- spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. This passage, again, is about what true fasting looks like. And I think it's important to know exactly what the author here is telling us. But first, fasting draws us closer to God. I don't know if you noticed that earlier in the passage, when this is all about what the Israelites are doing to draw close to God. They're trying to draw close to God through their fasting. In verse 2, it says, They ask of me righteous judgments, and they delight to draw near to God. The desire of the people, no matter what they're doing, is to draw near to God. However, we see that some of what they're doing just isn't right. It's not working. Their idea of a fast is to oppress those around them, to to deal with their own pleasures and not sacrifice something of themselves. However, the fast that the prophet here is talking about, that God is talking about, 
is a fast where we give up things of our own. And I want you to notice what we give up. In verse 6, is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Fasting is a sacrifice of something we have. And in this case, it's a sacrifice of something that we have so that someone else can have comfort. So that someone else can draw near to God just as we are. So often, I think we think, we, we look at fasting as it only has to do with food. It only has to do with what we're eating or what we choose to put away for some time. But I think very clearly in this passage, fasting is about sacrifice. It's about giving up what we have so that others can be helped. Most importantly, fasting draws us closer to God, however we choose to do it. In verse 11, it says, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Fasting creates God or puts God as our guide in our life. The Lord will guide you continually if we choose to fast. Isn't that an amazing thought? To know that if I am fasting and choosing to worship God by fasting, He is going to help me in my walk. He is going to guide me to do what He expects of me in my walk with Him. Fasting helps us to draw near to God. And I think that cannot be overlooked or understated. Now, again, there there are some difficulties or obstacles to to recognizing this. Because sometimes when, when I think of fasting, how can that draw me closer to God? There are so many better ways to draw me closer to God. I can pray. I can read scripture. I can edify my brethren. Those all draw me close to God. And those are, so to speak, a little easier. It means I don't really have to give up something sometimes. And when we think of fasting, we we put other things above it. Because other things just, again, are easier or seem like they're more effective in our life. Sometimes we just forget about fasting. Again, it may go back to we only think of fasting as a response to sorrow or to struggle. Because I know that's where I often fall in. That I can only fast when something bad is going on. But that's not, that's not true at all. In fact, we see it in the New Testament about different times to fast. In Luke 5, verse 33, Jesus is, is questioned by the Pharisees and scribes about why his disciples don't fast like John the Baptist do. Luke 5, 34 and 35. And Jesus said to them, Can you make a wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. The apostles had no need, or the disciples had no need to fast because they had Jesus with them. They had God close to them. They could draw near to physical Jesus. But when he was gone, they didn't have that anymore. They had to find a different way to draw near to God. And the answer right here is fasting. Jesus, in his answer to this question, is they don't fast because I'm here, but when I'm gone, then they'll fast. Again, I think it's important to note the expectation of fasting in this passage, that Jesus fully expects his apostles and disciples to fast when he's gone, because that fasting draws them closer to him. In James 4, verse 8 through 10, we see another instance of the importance of fasting. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your heart, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Rather, this is, I misspoke, this is a passage more on the importance of drawing near to God. And if fasting is what helps us draw near to God, look at, look at what it means. Drawing near to God means that he is going to draw near to us. That he is going to lift us up after we humble ourselves. That if we cleanse ourselves and draw close to God, then he is going to be with us. Drawing near to God forces us to rely on him and not ourselves. It forces us to say that God is in control and that I am going to trust in his control and trust in his will. Because if I trust in him, if I draw near to God, he is going to save me. Fasting is a way for us to draw close to God. It's a way for us to get closer to our creator and to Jesus and to help devote ourselves to them. And it may differ on situations. There may be situations where it isn't a sorrowful response because sometimes I just want to fast because I feel my relationship with God is growing weak, that I need to make it stronger. And so a way to make it stronger is turning to fasting is devoting time to Him and Him alone. Sometimes I might fast when life is just going well, that everything is looking up, that I'm successful in what I'm doing, my, my job is going well, my family is being taken care of. And at that time, it may be best for me to, to fast so that I can draw close to God and thank Him for the blessings He has given me. And, and there is an adage, I feel like we've all heard this adage, that pride goeth before a fall. Sometimes when we're most happiest, when we feel like everything is going well, that's when temptation creeps in. That's when struggles creep in, and that's when we fall. And if I'm willing that at those times of success, at those times of blessing, to set aside some time to fast and draw close to God, then maybe I'm circumventing some of those failings or weaknesses. Or maybe I'm just refocusing myself so that when those struggles do come, I'm strong in Christ. Fasting helps us all to draw near to God, and I think that's vitally important to understanding what fasting is. Finally, look with me in Esther, Esther chapter 4. <coughs> the book of Esther is all about the Jewish people in a time of struggle. There, in this stage, what we have is the king of Persia has thrown out his wife. He's discarded her, discarded her because she hasn't obeyed his command to come and dance before him and his, his friends. And so here we have a king who is looking for a wife. He sends out his servants to find the prettiest women in all the land. And lo and behold, Esther, a Jew, is choos- chosen. And she is chosen to become his queen. And she is, she is elevated to this high status. And when she's in this high status, a plot is found out. One of her relatives, Mordecai, is, is, is able to save the king of Persia from an assassination attempt, and he is blessed because of this. He is blessed by the king. He is elevated in his own status. And this angers another one of the king's officials, Haman. And Haman sets out as his one desire to eradicate the Jews. So you can see this predicament that the Jewish people are in, that Esther herself is in. Her people are on the brink of destruction. And she might be able to save them. In Esther chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 15, we see a fast that helps her. Esther 4, starting in verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, 
and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Esther chooses a fast to help her work up her courage. She chooses a fast to help her make this decision on whether or not she should go before the king. I think that's important. Fasting helps us make decisions. It helps us to get some clarity on what we're supposed to do or what we're not supposed to do. Esther is helped and encouraged by the Jewish people fasting along with her and her handmaidens. She is encouraged by this and she is then able to go in in front of the king and tell him all that is going on. And in result, she is able to circumvent this destruction for her people. Her fasting helps her to make this decision. It helps her to make this choice to build up her courage. And likewise, fasting can help aid our own choices. It can help to build up our own courage. It can help us clear our minds when we feel stressed out by where work is going or or directions we want to take our family in. It can help us to focus on spiritual matters. I've been struggling with the temptation, so I'm going to turn to fasting to help figure out how to deal with it, how to cut it out of my life, or how to overcome it. Fasting helps us to make decisions. And again, we might disagree with this thought process because sometimes we just don't see the need for fasting in decision-making. That, that just adds one more decision to our, our already heavy load on where to eat or when to eat. And we look around in our society, and I, in my circles, I don't see fasting often. It's, it's very rare, in fact. And so if no one else is doing, then it, it probably really isn't working. And if that thought is creeping in my mind, then why would I use fasting to decide or help me decide sp- heavy decisions in my life or spiritual decisions. A lack of understanding or a a lack of popularity, so to speak, can push fasting out of our minds when it comes to making big decisions. Maybe we disagree because we think we're more than adequate in our own selves to make these decisions. That fasting is is not needed because I can make this decision by myself or, or with the help of my wife or with the help of my coworkers. And as long as I've got their help, then I don't need to do anything extra or special. Fasting can be negated by different reasons. But when we look in the New Testament, we see that fasting to make these spiritual decisions or just important decisions has been done multiple times. Acts 13 and verses 1 through 3, Now they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The minute this church fasted and prayed to God before Baal, Saul and or Paul and Barnabas are sent off on their journey. They fast to help, help these two men understand what they're going to do. They, help, they fast to help these men draw close to God and recognize what God is desiring them to go do throughout all of the Roman Empire. Fasting helps play a part in this decision. In Acts 14 and verses 21 through 23, when they had preached the gospel to that city and they had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. 
And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul and Barnabas in their work were appointing elders in the churches they had set up. But before they appointed elders, they fasted and prayed over them so they would be committed to their work in God. They had this heavy decision on who was going to shepherd their, the flock in specific locations. And in order to make that decision, they fasted for it. They prayed for it. Fasting plays an integral part in making these decisions. And I want us to understand that. I want us to see that. Because that should encourage us in our own decisions. That when we are faced with heavy choices, when we're faced with, with life, we can fast to help make decisions, to help guide us. And this can be different for all of us. I'll, I'll use a personal example. For me right now, I'm in a search for a full-time work. And it's stressful. Let me tell you, it's stressful to answer questions, to see what, is, what your future might be like, where you might end up. And after studying this throughout this week, fasting may be the best answer for it. Setting some time out of my day or out of my week to go before God and just devote my time to Him, to ask Him for help, for guidance, to fast so that He can help me make my decisions. This may look like fasting before decisions for leadership of the church. When we appoint elders, when we appoint deacons, maybe there needs to be some time where we can fast and set it, set it aside so that we can grow close to God and ask Him for help through fasting. We may be able to fast to help, ask for help before sin or temptation so that we can strengthen ourselves and not fall away. This may look like us fasting before big life decisions, a new job, starting a family, getting married, heavy decisions that will weigh and impact our entire life. Calls for fasting, calls for times to draw close to God and ask for help. Fasting helps us to make spiritual and life decisions. And we can't understate that, and we see that in the New Testament. When we look at the Bible as a whole, fasting is an important part of worship. It's an important part for us to draw close to God, to have more God in our life, even if it means less food. Fasting helps me in my spiritual walk with God, and it helps everyone in their spiritual walk for God. And I would encourage us as we are about to dismiss to consider that in terms of our life when we have heavy decisions when we're struggling with sin or temptation, when sorrow is creeping into our life, that fasting is an excellent option to draw close to God and to ask for help. I appreciate your attention this morning. At this time, we're going to be dismissed for our classes.